0: Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Hello and welcome again to another edition of The Working Therapist podcast. This is David Bolick, guest hosting today, along with the normal host of the Working Therapist podcast, the working therapist herself, Hayden Bolick. Hello, Hayden.
1: Hey, you sound a lot better when you start that than I do. Because <laughs> I, I sound nearly as, hey, hey, I sound more like, hey, how are you? Hey.
0: Well, the reason I am uh, <laughs> guest hosting today is because the subject of this podcast is you and pediatric developmental therapy.
1: Well, bring it on. Let's see what we got. <laughs> I don't know if we got anything, but let's see what we got. Go ahead.
0: Well, um <laughs> Pediatric developmental therapy is a therapy practice that's multidisciplinary. What Mm -hmm. disciplines does pediatric developmental therapy serve? You have people working for you and they operate on different disciplines. And what are those disciplines?
1: We do occupational therapy. Speech therapy and physical therapy.
0: And primarily, uh, the name itself is pediatric developmental mm-hmm. therapy, so the nature of the practice is pediatrics, is that yes. correct?
1: Yeah, I mean, if I had thought about it a long time ago when we started this, I would not have named it pediatric developmental therapy, because if you say that enough and your answer from the telephone, that's a tongue twister.
0: Ah, well.
1: I would and- have named it like therapy, one, two, three, or I would have named it like something else, easier
0: well, I mean, you, but you do like the name. Yeah,
1: I like the name. I'm just kidding about that. <laughs> I just had to answer the phone a lot today.
0: we <laughs> have shortened it in shorthand to PDT occasionally yep. when when talking about the practice.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, most often we do say PDT. Yep.
0: Well, as the Working Therapist podcast is designed to help uh, therapists in particular to grow more, do more, and be more.
1: Yep. When we developed our core competencies about a year and a half to two years ago, we developed that tagline to go along with it because it really sort of communicates what we try to do overall for therapy and for our therapists and other admin staff, too.
0: Well, and PDT as an organization has existed, I believe, since 1997. Is that correct?
1: Yes. That's what started in 1997. Yes.
0: Well, you're quite an entrepreneur. How did the practice start?
1: Well, it started because I love therapy, pediatric therapy. I I do. I like to help children. I like to help families. I like to help educate and develop. So anyway, I've always felt that pediatrics could be done best in a team approach, ptot and speech. And so where I was working, it was happening, but the patients and the families always came in to see me, and I wanted to try therapy sort of in a different way.
0: And so... You decided to launch your own practice in 1997.
1: I did. Not because, though, I was an entrepreneur or I had any kind of great plan, just the fact that I thought pediatrics could be done a little better than where I had been working. So that's why I started. But I didn't have a grand scheme plan or big, like, oh, I can do this, and this is what's going to happen. I just thought, hey, we can do therapy different and better.
0: Well, when you started PDT, Hmm. you then started, from what I gather, with nothing.
1: That's right. Well, I mean— yeah, you were there. Sure. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have squat well, de- diddly. Describe what... I think there was nothing a squat diddly.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. Describe what jumping off that cliff looked like.
1: Well, I mean, I was at work one day at one place, and the next day I wasn't working there anymore. And so, not because I was ashley, because I left voluntarily. Let me clarify that. But I just literally, on the way to the first house, because I didn't have anywhere else to do therapy, but in a home, I drove by Target and bought a, no kidding... A potato head because also had squat diddly means also no money, but I bought a potato head, 699, I think a thing of bubbles, 99 cents, play-Doh, again, less than five bucks, and I think a couple books. And I put it in a target bag and took off.
0: You took off and you went and uh, served your first patient.
1: Yes, and I got rainworm at that house, but yeah, I served with my first patient. <laughs> is
0: that one of the hazards of a pediatric yes. therapist? Well,
1: yeah, and also a hazard is listening to a teacher who's been working in Rayford for a long time tell you put straight bleach on it, but that's another story, though, but moving on. <laughs> well, that
0: first visit to the home led to the eventual creation of a small office.
1: Yeah, it did. And so we decided that to be credible, you needed a place to put your stuff when you're done or, you know, it makes you seem more credible. To me, working at home, working out of your car, all that seems very, very natural and normal and kind of just what you do because you have to go to where the patients are. But I realized you nearly needed a home base.
0: Well, particularly in 1997, I think things have changed a little bit Mm -hmm. from the working at home type process. But in 1997, uh, therapists and other therapists expected you to have a, a home base.
1: Yeah, I think so. Oh, it just makes you seem like you're a thing. Well, you were a thing. <laughs> well, I mean, but yeah, exactly. I kind of like a tribute to my, one of my supervisors when I was in graduate school. And it's been a really long time. It's like, not what you know is what they think you know. Uh, front door makes people think you know more than maybe you know. But I thought I knew it anyway, but yeah.
0: Well, that first office, I think, was three rooms.
1: Uh-huh. Just a little tiny office, three rooms. But it was perfect. It really had a waiting room place where we could do our billing because at that point, you know, we had paper medical records and then two therapy rooms. That was it. That's all we needed.
0: And you saw and treated children occasionally there in the office?
1: All the time. I mean, well, there, homes, daycares, anywhere between Fayetteville and at that time, Montgomery County. Oh, wow.
0: And Montgomery County from Fayetteville is about an hour and a half
1: drive. A long, long, long way. Yes, but probably about that. I think so, yeah. About an hour and a half or two hours maybe, depending on where you are in Montgomery County.
0: Now, at some point after you launched your solo practice, you decided to employ additional Mm therapists. And about how long after you started as a solo practice therapist – did you go before deciding to employ someone?
1: Interesting enough, I didn't really know how it would work. I really did not have a kind of major scheme or game plan, you know. I mean, the referrals came pretty fast and furious, and I was busy quick. And I'm not afraid to work hard. I have never been afraid to work hard, and wasn't afraid to them. And I really just have a passion for pediatrics. So, of course, referrals came you know, fast and quick, and where you live in a needy area for that, so probably, what, well, July st- to yeah, January. Well,
0: let, me, let me stop you there before we go on to the employee. What do you attribute Fast and Furious referrals to?
1: Hmm. Well, you know what? I don't think anybody's ever asked me that question. I just think, well, I think I've always cared about children. I try to bring my A-game every time I see somebody, and Some days I do a better job of it than others, but hopefully I always communicate to parents or to whoever is there that I'm giving it my best and I'm trying to help their child. So no matter in what situation, I hope to make whatever is happening better.
0: So as a recommendation to other therapists out there who are listening in, what piece of advice would you give those therapists to develop the ability to at some point get referrals fast and furious?
1: If therapy isn't anything, it's personal. And if you're not authentic and honest, then you really don't have much of anything. I think, you know, if you have a passion for it and you're excited about it, it's going to be automatic. So, and you'll get a lot of referrals because you care about what you're doing. People ultimately, parents, caregivers, other people, ultimately, you're there because there's an issue. And they just need you to help their person.
0: Yeah, and you didn't just start your own therapy practice without having some experience under your belt either.
1: Yeah, I already invested a certain amount of time, money, energy, because I went to college and I went to graduate school. So I already invested. I hadn't planned to get a job. I had a career in whatever capacity that took me. The first job I was planned strategically, so I took a job knowing it gave me a lot of exposure and a lot more opportunity to learn, which I think in a first job, if you plan a career, is what you need.
0: And so that piece of advice you would give, would it be fair to sum up to young therapists who may be listening, that when you first graduate from school don't expect to know it all and seek out a place where you can learn more and a place where you might have that opportunity to grow further.
1: Or you mean grow more, do more, be more? No. Well. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. If you've taken enough time to go to college and to graduate school, then you obviously care about what you're doing and you need to find a job that's going to help you develop yourself as a therapist and a professional. You might be a great therapist, but you could be a lousy professional.
0: Well, let's talk about that. How would you define a good therapist?
1: Well, you're asking some tough questions. Um, A therapist that looks at the whole situation. So when you walk into therapy, house, room, whatever it is, when you're approached by a child and family, you I don't have all the answers right now. I mean, there's plenty of people that I see that I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to have to look up some stuff or call my friend. But I look at the whole child, the whole situation. You can't do good therapy if you don't have buy-in from whoever's taking care of that child. I mean, you just can't. So a good therapist looks at the whole entire situation, takes all the information in, really listens to the priorities for the mom or dad or whoever it is that's bringing the child in that has got. Also looks at the child and gives them the test, but really also clinically looks at them in terms of the test will give you one thing, but what's your, I say this all the time, what's your gut saying? What's your overall information from that evaluation saying about that child? And then develops a plan that's going to meet the best needs of that child and that has good buy-in from the family.
0: So being an observer, a Mm -hmm. listener, Those are key qualities, would you say, uh, to a good therapist?
1: And it's part of our core competencies. Listening is one of them. Communication is another one. Continuous learning is another one. So, yeah, all of that requires, all of that you have to, decision-making. You've got to be a good listener to be a good therapist, and you have to look at the whole child. And I think when you first come out of graduate school, therapists graduate graduate school are so focused on therapy, 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 and they're one little area. And nobody tells them when you're in graduate school that, you got to look at the whole person, whether it's adult or peas. It doesn't matter, or whatever profession you're in. If you're in a health medical service, you got to look at the whole patient.
0: Well, let's let's expand on that a little bit and continue to talk. You had mentioned that you want therapists, and you feel really passionate about uh, good therapists, but also uh, you had mentioned professionalism. And what makes a therapist a professional, in your opinion?
1: Well, there's some basics. You know, just showing up on time. What
0: are the the basics?
1: (laughs) You need to show up on time. You need to be dressed professionally. No jeans. No, I mean, you need to look like you cared about what was going to happen to you that day. You need to be clean. You just need to look kept. Like, you care what you're going to do that day. Your sense of caring. So, you got to wear comfortable clothes, but still not jeans. You know, you have to be prepared. You have to know what's coming in, what are your plans to do that day. So have a plan. You might alter your plan, or you may have an 8 o'clock patient you think is coming in and they cancel. So the plan may alter, but you've got to sort of, generally speaking, have a plan. And another professional is you know, having all your paperwork done on time, being accurate. Do what, you know, whatever patient comes in, therapy or evaluation or whatever it is, do what is required, document what you did, and bill appropriately. Only what you did. No more, no less. What you did. And good communication. You have to communicate and tell parents, hey, this is what's happening. This is what I know. This is what I'm going to do. that so sound like you something you want to do. So good communication.
0: Yeah, well, talk about communication and how important is follow-up uh, in terms of a therapist exhibiting professionalism.
1: Well, I kind of treat it, and I say this a lot of times, but, you know, it's kind of like one of the rules at our house. You know, if you touch it last, you deal with it, and I mean that <laughs> I mean that in a good thing. Once I see a patient, they are my people. They're mine. It's my patient. So I'm going to follow up, and I'm going to carry it out. If, so if I'm the one who's doing the eval, but I'm not necessarily the one that's going to pick the child up for therapy, I'm going to make sure somebody's picking that child up for therapy. And so even if I've done the eval and I have a full schedule, and I don't have room to pick them up, I'm going to make room until somebody gets room. Or I'm going to have a plan ahead of time of who's picking the child up for therapy, and I'm going to communicate to them. I'm going to write an eval. I'm going to make sure the referral source gets a copy of that assessment, because the referral source sent me their patient. So they care enough about their patient to, number one, recognize a problem and to get potential help for that problem. So I need to tell them, hey, thanks for sending me this patient, and here's what I think needs to happen. And I'm going to communicate that to the parents or the guardian or caregiver, whoever it is, and then I'm going to do what I said I was going to do in the avowal and carry out my plan of care. Right.
0: Well, so in taking a look at before you went out and ventured out on your own, and I called it jumping off the cliff earlier, (laughs) you got some experience Mm -hmm. and you developed yourself as a good therapist, in your opinion, and based on those criteria that you listed, primarily taking a lot of attention and putting a lot of attention on listening in terms of being a good therapist, and then exhibiting yourself as a professional Mm -hmm. by showing up on time, being dressed appropriate, ready for therapy, ready for work on any given day, and following through with good communication and hoeing to the end of the row, so to speak, uh, to use a Southern expression, a farming expression, hoe to that end of the row, Mm -hmm. follow through uh, not only with the child in a therapy plan, but with the parent in a pediatric setting, so that the parent understands what it is you as a therapist are doing.
1: hmm Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's I sell this to people all the time, and you know, it, it even sounds funny saying it to you right now because you hear me say it all the time. But you know, I just as a therapist or any therapist, we just drive the train. We make the plan. We drive the train. The th- real progress comes from what happens with that child when they're not in therapy. So I make a plan and I say, okay, parent caregiver are you on board with this? And they can say yes. And then I fully expect that parent to hold me accountable and I will hold them accountable. So if they don't understand part of the plan, I fully expect and want them to say, what in the heck are you want me to do? This doesn't make any sense. But I also will hold them accountable and be like, okay, well, we, these are the three things we said we're going to work on. How'd that go? And if they don't really know, then I'm thinking they really hadn't bought into my plan. So maybe I need to alter my plan. What are some
0: techniques that you would recommend people use to get parents and caregivers to take lessons learned during a therapy session and follow through in the days or weeks or whatever time frame between therapy sessions are so that they actually gain some additional usefulness out of the therapy session?
1: Well, you keep it simple so you don't give parents a book. Because too much. Because it's real life. Because you gotta think about it. I mean, you're in that nice little perfect world of therapy where it's just you and the child, or you know, however you're treating. And then, well, but I
0: keep it simple, do you, what do you mean by that?
1: Well, yeah. I've got my goals and I've got my plan of care, but then I'm not gonna give parents a list of ten things to work on over the week. You know, I'm gonna hone in on what I think is the most important thing. Even though I've got four or five goals for that child, I've still got in my head, sort of where that child really is and the most important thing I want them to work on that'll get them successful because I want them to be It doesn't matter what age they are I want them to be successful.
0: So by simplifying you hone it down to one or two things to take home so to speak mm-hmm. from each therapy session.
1: One or two ideas and I'll tell those to the parent I'll give them specific examples of how we worked on it if they weren't in the session and then I'll write it down so I'll always write it down and say okay so this week I want not try to work on blop you know A B C or A B or whatever it is, or just one thing maybe, and and I'll give parents real strategies for how to work on it. Not okay, let's sit down and you know I mean you got to do it in real life. It's got to be stuff that you can work on as you're riding to the grocery store in the car. Stuff that you can work on. There's all kinds of stuff and for whatever problem it is that you can work on this regular daily life. Because if it's not daily life and functional, then what's the point? I mean, what are you doing? Why are you doing it?
0: Well, and you and I both are fans of Jim Collins. Mm-hmm. a business leadership author and consultant who's written a New York Times bestseller called Good to Great. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned therapists being a good therapist, but how does a therapist then... And Jim Collins' premise is is that there are some organizations and even individuals who are good. They're good at what they do. They... Um, you know, are able to feed their families they're, if they're an individual. They are profitable if they are a corporation. But there are other organizations which transcend what maybe numbers or folks looking in from the outside would say are good. They transcend that goodness to greatness. Do you have some ideas about how a therapist in particular can go from being good to great?
1: Well, I think because therapy is so personal and you're dealing with people, I think you got to work on it every day. You know, I mean, I think you got to care. You have a passion for it. You got to always want to learn, always really when I say our right, taglines grow more, do more, be more, but you really have to constantly push yourself cuz it's easy to sort of get stuck in a rut. It's easy to sort of do the same types of things in therapy. It's easy to pull out the same kinds of stuff, but you've got to continuously self-evaluate yourself and evaluate the child. And I have other people sort of Check in behind me.
0: And other people like who?
1: Other therapists. I met a therapist at a house this past Friday, and she was going to get there a little bit before I did. And I had seen the child for a couple times by myself without her. So I'm training her to do this certain type of therapy. And I told her, I said, well, You're going to get there about five minutes beforehand, me. So I said, This is a good opportunity. I want you to go in and I want you to ask the mom, Hey, I haven't been here in a couple of weeks. This mother knew the therapist. So what's Hayden having you work on? What are your main things that you're working on? And I told the therapist, I said, you're doing this because if the mom can tell you, oh, okay, Hayden's saying work on A, B, and C, then we'll know. And then you, then therapist, you can say to the mom, well, how did that work out for you this past week? Well, if the mom can tell you a couple things, because the therapist already knew by my daily notes what I was going to work on, what I've been working on and what instructions i would given the mom. And if the mom could give her those things and tell her how it worked during the course of the week, I had done a pretty good job of communicating to the parents. But if the mom's like, I have no idea, and I don't know what we're doing, I haven't done a very good job at all. So I constantly have people, when I say check behind me, but that's sort of hiding, uh, holding me accountable. I want to see, am I communicating clearly? Am I not? Is, does this plan make any sense? Is the mom bought into it? So that's sort of one example of sort of striving to keep growing, doing being more, you know?
0: And that's one of your core competencies is continual development.
1: And commitment to continuous learning.
0: Continuous learning. Yes. And so you you want to you want to learn yourself, too.
1: Well, and I think you can go to a class, but, you know, I need to learn, how is my message getting across? Am I tailoring my message to best meet different families and what's important to them? Have I assessed the situation correctly to say, this is really what this child needs to get better, and this family is really bought in?
0: Well, we've really...
1: sort of dove into some some, some interesting uh,
0: topics in terms of therapists and what you see as as good therapists and and pulling on your experience. I want to jump ahead and sort of get back into the game, so to speak, about PDT itself. Okay you had eventually hired a therapist. How long after you sort of started your own therapy practice did it go before you ended up hiring a full-time therapist to work with you?
1: Let's see, I started in July. It was February, March before I hired the first therapist.
0: So let's say six months. mm mm-hmm. Six months on your own, mm-hmm. and then you hired a therapist to come to work for you. mm mm-hmm. And that one therapist came to work for you, and that led to the hiring of another therapist.
1: mm mm-hmm. Yes. And yet
0: another therapist. Mm -hmm. And eventually that three-room office got to be too small.
1: It did, yes. So then we moved to another location that had a couple more therapy spaces. And I think at that point, too, we added PT. PT being physical therapy? Yeah, no. You know what we did? We rented the office next to us. And so and then we added physical therapy. And then we moved from that office to one bigger spot with terrible parking though. I don't ever I don't know why in the world we picked that spot. Terrible parking, but a decent PT space really. So we stayed speech and PT for a while before we finally added OT, which was a few years into the whole process.
0: And once you got the three disciplines together, then you grew to a larger practice space.
1: We did. That's when we moved into Oliver Street and we still are there at Oliver Street now. So and we've expanded on the building, but we that's when we moved finally to Oliver Street. And so uh,
0: the practice has been thriving for the last uh, 16 years.
1: 16 years, man.
0: And, and today, from that first trip to Target, <laughs> where you bought the Mr. Potato Head and the Bubbles, mm-hmm. today there are how many therapists working for pediatric developmental therapy?
1: Hmm, we have. I should know the answer off the top of my head, but I never do. Because I always think about people as people, not as numbers, but about 30 therapists, 35 If you count our part-time, like our contract therapists, which about 35, 36 people.
0: Okay. And those therapists work now at three different clinics. Yes. You have a clinic, the Oliver Street Clinic, which is located in Fayetteville, North Carolina, Mm -hmm. sort of directly behind the main hospital here Mm -hmm. in town. Mm-hmm. And there is another therapy clinic that is located near Hope County, North mm-hmm. Carolina, on the mm-hmm. Hope County Cumberland County line. Mm-hmm. And then another clinic in Pinehurst, North Carolina.
1: Southern Pines, but yes. Southern Pines. But who's counting? Yeah. Pinehurst Avenue.
0: Uh, Pinehurst Avenue, I think. Is it's
1: Pinehurst place. Avenue, yes.
0: And those clinics have thrived and have been staffed with therapists now for the last several years.
1: Yes. Yeah, exactly. You're right.
0: And what do you see for the future of pediatric developmental therapy?
1: Well, I think to me, more does not mean better. I think the future for us is honing our processes, our procedures, investing in our current staff and therapists. You know, we'll add therapists as the need arises and all that, but I don't have any brand scheme to add another clinic site. I mean, if that's what we need to do at the time, we'll do that. But right now I don't have any big plans for that. Education is a huge thing for me, continuously helping our current staff educate and grow, helping therapists educate and grow. I'd like to see some maybe more advancement in that area, more continuing education classes that we house on site. But really just making our group as good as we can make it, being innovative. I mean, In my opinion, you're not going to find any place that does therapy better than we do. I mean, you're not going to find it. We do PTOT speech the way pediatrics is supposed to be done, and And we do it real well.
0: How's the practice organized? You're organized, I think, in teams. Is that correct?
1: We do organize in teams because somebody got real smart. I think it was your idea, actually. But anyway, you know, like in kindergarten, if you sit at the red table and red table says go line up, we you stand in the lineup? So here, if it's the orange team, you have a meeting on Tuesday at 3, well, the orange team shows up Tuesday at 3. I mean, it's been ingrained since kindergarten, so those are our people. We're good with that. We are organized into four different teams and with team leads who manage their site and their teams, kind of like their own little company inside of a company, you know, sort of. It helps prevent us from getting so big that people are just a number. I think of people more in terms of, like, teams. So it just keeps things very personal and, and small, even in a relatively larger organization.
0: And you have four teams, is that correct? Or we do, four. Four teams. Mm-hmm. And one team, you have a team-specific administrative team. Mm-hmm. And what is that administrative team responsible for?
1: Well, billing, referral intakes, authorization, HR, all the admin side of the house for a therapy practice.
0: And when you say admin side of the house, you spend a lot of time with different therapists, not only who are here in Fayetteville, but... You talk to a lot of therapists across the country, and pediatric developmental therapy does some unique things in the sense that there is a full administrative team that helps therapists and assists therapists with scheduling. Oh, yeah, yeah. And follow up with scheduling and billing.
1: And following up with referrals and communicating with referrals and billing, yeah.
0: And that administrative team is dedicated to supporting the therapists who are sometimes literally on the ground, but on the ground helping treat the children
1: yeah well in that way the therapist can focus on the child and family not on getting the right authorization i mean the therapists have to be accountable and responsible as well and they need to know about it and and we do educate our therapist on all that process but they need to focus on their kids and family number one and then but i mean they need to understand about they need to bill accurately make sure the child is authorized for their insurance all that
0: so, you've got an administrative sport team, mm-hmm. and you have a team that is based out of Fayetteville. Yes. And then a team that is based out of the Westgate Center, which is on the Cumberland County, Hope County line. Yes. And yes. then a third team of therapists that's based out of Southern Pines.
1: Mm-hmm. You got it.
0: And each one of those teams has an experienced therapist who is the team lead.
1: Right. You got it.
0: And how's that working?
1: I think it's working great. I'm blessed to have the team leads that I work with. I'm blessed that we have the therapists that we have to work with us. The admin staff to work with us. I think it's going great.
0: To paint with some continued broad strokes, let's talk a little bit about a new therapist who might be interested in coming to work at pediatric developmental therapy and what you would expect from a new grad coming in, for example.
1: Well, number one, I sort of expect them to have chosen the pediatrics versus adults. Now, there's anything wrong with adult therapy, but you really just can't know it all. And so you have to pick. It's too hard to do both. And I hear a lot of new grads saying, well, I might want to do adults or I might want to do peds. You got to pick. Uh, some people would disagree with me about that, but I feel pretty strongly. So number one, pick pediatrics. Number two, have a passion, excitement for learning and wanting to learn. For, you're talking about a brand new grad now, right? Yes. Um, so just knowing that their first job is they're going to be expected to learn, which means that sometimes you don't have everything set up just like you want it in terms of your job. If you've worked for 20 years, you can sort of start to pick and choose your schedule a little bit more and sort of say, okay, I'm really good at this and I love this type of therapy and this is I can do it, but I'm not my most favorite. I don't like to see new grads from right off the block say, ooh, yeah, I really don't want to do that in terms of therapy. You owe it to yourself to try it all. You might love it. How do you know? You know, you need to be open and excited about trying all different types of therapy. And I expect new grads to just say, I always like to know, what can you offer us? I mean, I know what we're going to do for you and be excited about that. And we're going to do a lot. But I need to know, what are you going to do for our, and not us, not necessarily PDT as an organization, but our little people? Because I mean, once a little person's in with PDT, they're my little people. (laughs) And I feel pretty territorial. I mean, I'm protective of our little group, and so I like to know what they're going to offer our kids.
0: So to wrap up, um, (laughs) you've been blessed and lucky, as Mm -hmm. you said, to work with some good therapists and some great therapists. Great
1: therapists. We wouldn't be where we are if we didn't have the good therapists we've had.
0: And those therapists are also professional. Mm -hmm. And uh, in addition to being good and professional, uh, having a good sense of adventure is, is another asset that you have in a lot of the therapists that work here at PDT.
1: That's a great way to put that. I'm gonna start using that. A great sense of adventure, but it really is. I mean, you have to be excited about it. It is a sense of adventure because, yes, that's a good. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, I wish I'd thought of that. I'll start using it. All right. Well, great. Well, this <laughs> that
0: wraps up, I guess, another uh, episode of the Working Therapist Podcast. Today, I have been the lucky co-host of the <laughs> podcast. I'm David, and we're here with Hayden.
1: Yeah. Thanks for doing it. It was kind of nice being on this side of it. I like it. Yeah.
0: Okay. Until next time. Thank you. Thanks Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com.